Let's pray this morning. God, you've been our dwelling place for generations. You've been the place that we cry out our fears to and our hopes to, our longings. We've shed tears, God, asking the question, why, this week. And God, though there may not be words to explain why, we submit that we trust trust in you this morning again. We come here together because we know not what else to do. It's what we've done for generations. It's what we've done week by week. We come into this place and we sing your praises. And we try to understand the mystery that is our lives and your love for us. This morning, God, I pray that you would pour through me words. That you would pour through me the gift of preaching. So that Christ would be formed in our hearts so that we might be the people you've called us to be in a generation that desperately needs good news. Father, we're tired, we're weary of the bad news. We ask that you would come and you would heal this land. We ask that you would come and you would unite where there's division. We ask that you would forgive where there needs forgiving and reconciliation. We ask that you would point out in us, God, our sins, the ways that we don't interact in ways that we should. God, would you clean up our mouths so that we might speak truth in comfort and peace. God, we lift these words up to you this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm struggling for words to speak today. I've been praying for the last, I don't know, four or five days about what should be said on a morning like this as we come seeing what we've seen and hearing what we've heard. Many of us have seen videos this week of African-American men dying. And we've seen hours of coverage of violent incidents where five police officers' lives were taken and others were injured in our city, in Dallas, in the city that we love, in the city I love, in the city my family has grown up in for generations. This happens here. And I'm weary of the breaking news stories. I don't know about you. I'm weary of the alerts on my phone. I'm weary of more videos being posted. I'm weary of the conversation on social media. I'm weary of spouses and significant others and children planning funerals. I'm weary of it all. And I have no answers to give this morning. I claim no authoritative position on which to speak this morning. I simply pray this week that God would in this moment provide words that I don't know to speak to provide comfort where it is needed, to provide the beginnings of reconciliation where it is needed, to begin confession where it is needed. And so this morning, there are four passages I want to share with you that have come to me over the last 24 hours that I hope will remind us of who we are in moments like this. Because we are people who are Christians. We are followers of Jesus Christ. That is our primary identity, is it not, church? So when we interact in the world, that is how we begin to view our world. That is what changes our conversations. That is what helps us to mourn as those who have hope, not as those who do not. In a church our size, I know we have people who look at incidents like these through different eyes. How can we not because of the experiences that each of us have shared? But we come together 
united in the blood of Jesus, but with different eyes to see these experiences. We're not as diverse racially as I hope we will one day be, but our minority families can tell us stories of how they have experienced racism and how these videos remind them of experiences in their lives and difficulties and challenges. And I think it's good that we hear these stories and we remember and we listen to the fear that they have as they send their kids out into the world in ways that I do not fear my kids being sent out into the world. I know of other families in our church who send their family members out into our city to serve and protect our citizens as police officers. And every day when their families leave, their husbands, fathers, Mothers, sisters, children, they fear for their lives as well because they know that when many of us flee and fear and run when situations occur, these are the individuals who run into situations and who run into buildings and into threat. And we need to hear their stories this morning. We need to listen to their fear because it is real fear. Our culture loves to take sides. We love to to blame. We love to find sources for our anger. We love to create scapegoats, and that's been happening since the first century. When the Roman government brought on a scapegoat of its own, Jesus Christ, who was the peacemaker in the midst of conflict, who came into this situation and into this world to reconcile and bring people together, but sometimes peacemakers are the ones who end up being killed, aren't they? And we think that if we can find a single target of our fear about our officer killings in our city or the killing of Alton Sterling or Philando Castile, then we'll feel better. And we believe that hate and blame are seductive traits to us, aren't they? We're seduced into them. Anger is easier than grief. Rage gives us some kind of instant relief. But hate and blame and rage and anger and scapegoating do not aid in the process of healing, do they? Taking sides does us no good. Because where are you going to draw lines in the midst of a society where the line between good and evil does not reside between people groups? It resides in the hearts of every single one of us, doesn't it? All of us are capable of great good. And all of us are capable of incredible evil. And that question about where we draw lines takes me to one of the passages I wanted to share with you this morning from the book of Joshua. It's a surprising passage. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open there or mark this passage down and maybe you'll come back to it later this week. Joshua 5. It's an interesting scene right before the Israelites enter in to take the promised land. And right before this scene where they enter the promised land and they take over Jericho and the walls come crumbling down, there's this strange scene that might provide some kind of answer for us in the midst of us wanting to draw up our lines in our day as well. Joshua 5, beginning in verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message? Does my Lord have 
before his servant. It's a fascinating scene, isn't it? The commander of the Lord's army, and here are the people of God ready to take over Jericho. And the question that Joshua asks is, whose side are you on? Seems like an easy response, doesn't it? The army of the commander of the Lord, I'm on the Lord's side. I'm on the people of God's side. Go and take Jericho, but that's not what the commander of the Lord's army says, is it? Neither side. When we're tempted to believe that we're on God's side, that he's on our side perhaps, that's when it's important for us to humble ourselves and ask the question again, is this the business that God takes up, the taking of sides? The commander of the Lord's army can't even claim to be on Israel's side. And why? Because every person is created in the image of God. You can't force God to take sides when every person on earth is his son or his daughter. And when we take sides, when we gather arguments, when we demonize the other side, we're not speaking on God's behalf. We're actually dividing the very children that God has created in his image. What we've done is we've misunderstood where the true battle lies. And that brings me to the second passage that I want to share with you today from Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We talked recently about the Holy Spirit in our worship service, and it is a passage that Paul writes in Ephesians 6 that talks about uh, this very thing, about the spiritual battle that we are in. This is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. This is a vital passage for us to understand in the midst of all that goes wrong in our world today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. But listen closely to verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The battle, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood. If it has flesh and blood, it is not our enemy as Christians. And this is where we make our mistakes as we begin to draw lines and we begin to name enemies. But anyone who is flesh and blood is created in the image of the God who's created us as well. And so our calling is not to take our stand against people. No, we are all humans. We are all created in the image of God. We are all on the same team and we are called to come together, asking that God would move and would work. And this is a hard principle to follow on weeks like this because we love to draw lines. It is so natural to do so. But Satan's the one who's the enemy here, church. It's not any of these groups that the the media will try to tell you that we ought to put our anger at. No, anyone who is involved in violence or anger or or causing fear in our world, they're being manipulated and worked by the power and the forces behind them. They're not the enemy. They're the people that we long that God would redeem and restore just as we need that restoration. Amen? So what do we do? If we can't draw lines as the world wants us to do, and if we can't set up the battle against people as the world wants us to do, what is our calling? And this is where I want to remind us of the third passage that came to me just yesterday. It's in the book of 2 Corinthians, the words of Paul as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Let me read that again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. This is Paul who's just written the same words we read a moment ago, right? Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is what God has done for us, isn't it? God has reconciled us. He has forgiven us. He has brought us back into relationship through Jesus Christ to God the Father. And we are grateful for this. This is why we sing our songs. This is what the death and resurrection of Jesus did for us. It reconciled us to God. But it doesn't stop there, church. What does Paul say? He says, we don't regard any from from a worldly point of view. And God has given us a ministry. He's given us a message. And it's to present a message that we have received ourselves. We have received reconciliation from Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And as Christians, our calling is to be reconcilers. We have this message and we have this ministry. We are ambassadors of God from another land. We are citizens of heaven. But we're ambassadors on this earth who are bringing forward God's reconciliation in this world. Christ has reconciled us, and so we do the same. And reconcilers can't take sides when the world does, can we? Reconcilers are people who bring people together from both sides. And that's hard work. But as ambassadors of the kingdom, this is what we do. Because one day, people from all of the sides of the lines that we arbitrarily draw in this world who are in Jesus Christ will find themselves together in the new heavens and the new earth. And they're going to have to learn to get along then. And my suggestion is, why don't we begin that work now by helping them learn to get along together before they end up in heaven together? This is our work, church. And it is hard work and it is not fun work. And this means that if we mouth off on Facebook in moments of like this, it makes it impossible for us to be reconcilers with people in the days to come. And if we tell certain kinds of jokes that disparage certain kinds of people, it becomes very hard to be reconcilers who bring this ministry of reconciliation and this message to others. It is important what our mouths say in these moments and what our fingers type. I've often heard it said that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. But I think in our generation, we tend to focus on the 26 letters that we have to type on our keyboard that's more than the two ears we have to listen with. It's still our mouth, and what we say is important. So what is the ministry of reconciliation? How do we go about that? Well, Jesus talked about this, and this is the fourth passage I want to share with you this morning. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. In just a couple of months, we're going to do a series through the Beatitudes, and I'm excited to share more with you about these words of Jesus, about who the blessed are in this world. It's so upside down to what we come to expect in our world. But these are the words in the Beatitudes, the blessed people that God calls in verse 9, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Peacemaking and reconciliation is hard work. In fact, we often think about this passage and we think that God blesses the peacekeepers, but that's not what it says here. This, it's not people who, who avoid conflict or help others avoid conflict. Peacemakers are those who are part of this message of reconciliation. We're reconcilers. We come between groups that have drawn lines between each other and we come and we help one another listen and we help one another forgive, and we aid in confession, and we step into the gap, and sometimes we end up dying because we step into the gap. This is what happens to peacemakers. Jesus, Martin Luther King, so many throughout history who stepped in to be peacemakers, they are the blessed, but often in this world they end up dead because of it. But this is our calling, church. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to be reconcilers, and this is our work, and this work prevents us from doing what so naturally we want to do in situations like these. But reconciliation doesn't happen by magic. Reconciliation begins with listening, doesn't it? Listening to the stories of one another, the experiences that we don't quite understand. Listening and fully engaging in in, in pain in the real world. In other words, it begins with mourning and with lamenting. And this morning, in the moments to come, we're going to provide a space for that to happen. We're going to provide some some recorded music. We'll provide a time where we can engage in prayer with one another. And if you don't know what to pray, let me suggest the words of these songs may be words for you, but I want to invite you to open up the prayer book that God has given to us, the Psalms. A third of the Psalms are lament psalms. Psalms of crying out to God to say, how long, O Lord, how long does this go on? How long will you allow our enemies to go out against us? These are words of David and others who've cried out to God in the past. And I would suggest in those moments we don't know what to pray, that the Psalms are a great place to go back to. And so maybe in just a few moments you want to open the Psalms and find a prayer or two that you might have on your lips this week. Over the next few minutes, we're going to engage in a time of preparation for the ministry of reconciliation. But reconciliation doesn't just happen. We begin by mourning and lamenting. We begin by owning what we feel and presenting it to God. Where We need to confess, we confess. Where we need to pray prayers of protection, we pray prayers of protection. But it's hard and it's not a protected place to be people who are reconcilers and peacemakers. And so we prepare ourselves for this work as we leave these doors this morning. You have several options this morning in the next few minutes as we pray together. Um, Many of you still have your information cards, and I would encourage you to write a prayer request that expresses your heart to God in these moments. If you're a writer, if you're somebody who likes to journal, sometimes this is a great way to get out what you're feeling in your heart. Write down that prayer request. Leave it on, on the chair or turn it in in some way. We would love to lift those prayers up this week in our prayer ministry. Another option is to pray silently or meditate in this season. Maybe you don't know the words to speak in, and this just needs to be a time of silence in the midst of our busy world. Allow it to be so. also want to encourage you to pray with one another. We often think about our ministers and elders and leaders as the only ones to go for prayers during our open invitation to the service, and certainly that's open to you this morning to pray with our leaders in the back, but, but I want to encourage you in groups around to pray with one another in this time. We'll have several minutes and Pray with your family. Pray with those who are around you. Find others that you want to pray with and and lift up prayers this morning. We'll also have our elders and staff around the room and the perimeter of the room. If you'd like to go and pray with any one of them, they'll be open to you, whatever your prayer might be this morning. But we want this to be a time of prayer, a time where we, we access this gift of prayer and the Holy Spirit that we have this morning.
And so right now, I want to begin by opening this time with a prayer of my own, and then we'll open up this time. And at the end of this time, Rex Taylor, one of our shepherds, will come up and and close the season of prayer. This is where it starts, church. Not our own action, but by acting, by being on our knees before God and asking Him to do things that we can't do on our own. Amen? Let's pray right now. God, in these next few moments, you're going to hear cries of prayer that you've been hearing over the last several days. God, many of us are drawn to action. We're drawn to do things, to, to step up, to, to make change, to create conversation. But God, we trust right now in this season, the first thing we need to do is offer those words to you. God, for some of us, they're going to be groans because we don't have words to say and we trust the Spirit to interpret these groans on our behalf. But God, I pray that you would hear the prayers of your people in this season. We pray that we would be people who are peacemakers in this world. We pray that we would be people who are reconcilers and who are ambassadors of yours who take this message and ministry of reconciliation seriously. God, I pray for the families who mourn this week. I pray that you would bring peace and comfort beyond any understanding that we can offer ourselves. We pray your Holy Spirit, God, would envelop this land, this city, this country. God, in all the problems that we face and we see, God, would you help us find ways to talk and listen, hear stories and to move and to act, to, to get around tables together with people who are different from us so that we might be a people who are reconcilers in this day. God, this is our prayer in the name of Jesus, and we continue to offer it to you right now. Hear our prayer, O God.